This episode is brought to you by Element Kombucha. Kombucha is an incredibly delicious drink with a ton of amazing health benefits, primarily gut health. It's got those good bacterias. Yes, some bacterias are good. I've actually got a bottle of Element Kombucha in my hand. This one is called Summer Vibes. So let's take a sip. Oh, wow. Oh yeah, that's the first time trying this particular flavor and it is delicious. My other favorites are the Mountain Oolong as well as the Jasmine Hibiscus. Elements brewing process maintains the traditional methods and ingredients that people have been brewing kombucha with for thousands of years. Each flavor is brewed with strict parameters to bring out the benefits of the plants as well as the best flavors possible. And let me tell you, you can feel the difference. I highly recommend you give Element Kombucha a try. It's delicious, it's healthy, and it's just nice to have in your fridge for when you're thirsty. So go to elementkombucha.com and use promo code ZIAN11 to save 11%. That's ZIAN11 to save 11%. X-I-A-N-11 at elementkombucha.com. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. What makes Sheath different is the pouch on the inside. Now this is a game-changing invention that completely revolutionizes the male undergarment. These are the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn by far. They've got amazing designs and styles, super comfortable fabrics. My favorite is the bamboo and also the V, which is a long leg athletic underwear that doesn't ride up and it supports you where it matters most. So go check out Sheath at sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. Once again, that's sheathunderwear.com, promo code TIMEWHEEL.
All right, we are rolling, and I'm here with my new friend, David Reddish. How are you today, brother? Uh, I'm so well. I'm so full of life right now. Amazing. Glad to hear it. So we recently met at Unison Festival. We actually were uh, camp buddies. We were right next to each other in RVs. Um, that was pretty cool. And it turns out that you're actually a friend of Mike Brancatelli as well. Is that right? Yeah, Mike's a good brother. Um, we've been connecting for the past few months, and uh, he was just in men's training that I facilitated. I was previously in a retreat that he was facilitating, so we're just kind of playing in this space now and sharing lots of learnings. Yeah, Really cool. And so are you from Colorado? No, I'm, actually, I'm originally from Dallas, Texas. Um, I've been in Colorado for the past year, and... Yeah, and then met Mike through uh, another collaborator of his, um, Bill Burns. And yeah, I've just been getting tapped into the, the community here, the conscious community, the psychedelically minded community. Um, right. And it's been, it's been fun. Yeah. Really cool. What, was that uh, inspiration to move there influenced at all by the fact that they de- decriminalized psilocybin? <laughs> It definitely wasn't a deterrent. It definitely was like a plus. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was living previously in in Los Angeles and a little bit in San Francisco. Yeah, we were were in California and I was working in the film industry. My wife was working for a seven-figure Burning Man camp at one point. And then uh, she moved into a tech job that was in SF. So we... It was time for me to leave LA. She wanted to go. So we started kind of becoming nomadic and San Francisco was like a few months. And then we were on our way to go other places. And then the the pandemic happened uh, at the beginning of our travels. And we got locked down in Texas with my family and kind of hanging out there for a while. And then Colorado just felt like the move. We were ready to settle down at that point, ready to find a home and a community that felt like, something for the long term. Um, I just felt like Boulder had that, had that potential, had all the nature, um, just access to what we want, space, and um, lots, of, lots of beautiful and mindful people. So, yeah, yeah just I love us, Colorado. Um, I love there. Colorado. I've never been to Boulder yet, though. Be, um, I wonder, is it very, is it mountainous or, or foresty, or how, how is Boulder? I mean, it's both. It's, it's mountainous. It's foresty. Um, we live up like almost 8,000 feet, like up above the city, up in the mountains. Um, wow. And we're in, in a forest. I mean, there's just trees all around and nature and deer. And I haven't seen any bears yet this season, but I think since it's starting to get cold, they'll, they'll start popping up here and there. Mountain lions. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's different than growing up in Dallas. I can tell you mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I bet. I bet. That's really cool. I want to dive into your history as a filmmaker. Um, You said you were working in LA and San Francisco doing film. Um, What type of film were you doing there? Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, a lot of uh, documentary actually is where things led to. Um, Went to film school, was like, you know, I want to be the next Stanley Kubrick, Wes Anderson, just like an auteur. Um, mm-hmm. And was like, got done with school, went straight to LA and just started, you know, being people's assistant, um, you know, pr- producer's assistants and stuff like that. And um, 
I was like, okay, you know, I'm getting, you know, cutting my teeth and paying my dues, so to speak. And this was like right at the time when like all the DSLRs, all the Canon 5D, 7D started coming out. And it was like, whoa, you can get a really good digital image now. Because when I went to film school, we were still shooting on film. We were shooting on 16 millimeter um, and then sometimes on 35 millimeter film. And so I had this old school mindset that had been instilled in me of like, this is the way films are made. You know, we're not making videos or making films and like all this, you know, kind of highbrow way of thinking about it. And then just, yeah, the digital era ushered in and I was on these million dollar, you know, productions, these commercial shoots and just being this little young new guy learning, asking questions. And it just became really apparent. Like this is so accessible now. I could be working with my own clients. I could be directing small things, you know, I could actually pursue this career a little more directly than just being someone's assistant for the next five or 10 years and then maybe getting a break. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I I linked with a business partner, a guy I'd known since high school and who kind of introduced me to film. We, We studied film in high school. We were presidents of the film club and just so much raw passion and just true creative energy. There was no like, we got to make a job. We got to make money out of this. It was just, let's make art. Let's have fun. Let's collaborate. Let's bring cool people together and make interesting things. So, um, yeah, in that time we, we opened a company back in 2010, uh, it was called slice media and we ran that for about 10 years together. Um, a lot of commercials, a lot of corporate content. Um, and then we started doing, um, yeah, like short documentaries. We did a doc called Chasing Daylight, which is about um, just what's the behind the scenes life of touring DJs. Um, mm. Like, what does this flow? It's just really rapid paced and exciting. And there's the show, but there's all the other things that lead to the show, the travel and the interviews and the press and the, the setbacks right. and the lack of sleep and the partying. And right. I was getting to witness that because I was working for festivals doing content and creating all kinds of promos. And I was like, the most interesting thing is the stuff we're not filming. How do I get access to that? And that started the whole trend of like, I want to tell real stories about real people and what they're really going through. And the best way I can do that is just meet people and get access to them, get their trust and show them that, you know, I'm making good stories and I'm actually invested in what they want to talk about. So That that folded into um, eventually it folded into getting an opportunity to direct a feature film uh, documentary about suburban teen drug addiction um, mm. called Not Me, um, which is which is out there in the ether. It's available uh, for free, um, mm. and um, that was yeah, that was life changing. I had this you know vision. I wanted to direct a feature film before I was thirty. I was like. 28 or nine at the time when we made it back in 2015 and and it just came together in such a fun interesting and intense way i mean the subject matter is is not necessarily fun uh, to talk about um and it's important um and so so i just leaned into yeah documentary is is what i'm interested in and I, i bring a very experimental storytelling to that because my background in more narrative scripted filmmaking is just present in how I do things right. and then create that balance with the real life and real stories. And so that was, that was sort of how that all unfolded. 
is there a one location people could check these films out? Is there a website with, do you have a website with them or? Yeah. If they go to my website, uh, davidreddish.com, there's a tab there for original works. And if you could get to the trailer, you can like click out to watch the feature length version. Um, Amazing. Yeah. I should have yeah, done that I'm, before this podcast. I knew we had a lot in common, but I didn't know how many works you'd done. That's really cool. Yeah, um, man. Yeah, when we met, you know, we had a, a nice chat in your van, um, and we had discussed, you know, how similar our paths were. Um, I got involved in the independent documentary filmmaking world as well through uh, my work with Mitch Schultz, the director of DMT, The Spirit Molecule, as well as the Ayahuasca film and the Wachuma film. Uh, starring Aubrey Marcus, who was uh, an executive producer on that as well, um, and kind of cut my teeth with those and then ended up doing a, a lot more of like online social promotion stuff for probably about 10 other psychedelic films uh, over the past 10 years. Um, so I was much more of a in the uh, editing bay t- kind of guy than a shooter. I'm still kind of learning the the shooting stuff. I, I don't have the, the best camera. I mean, I'm definitely grateful for my Canon 60D, it's it's dope. It's full frame. It, it can get some good shots, but it's much more running gun vlog style uh, or vlog style. I'm trying to learn how to say it right. I've been saying vlog for like five years. Um, even my girlfriend corrects me. She's not even in the film industry. Um, but anyway, yeah, I've been doing that. But there's just so much overlap with what we're doing. Um, that's really cool that we would meet, you know, kind of synchronistically and i'm glad we get to share your story here because not only are you a filmmaker the way that i'm you know in that field as well primarily as an editor but i'm, I'm starting to to become more of a filmmaker myself um but you're you have a passion for psychedelics and plant medicines just like me as well so there's a lot i want to explore there um when did psychedelics enter your life was it before film after film during film you know like how old were you and what's that story? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say it was during film. I started dabbling and making films when I was, you know, 15 or 16 and then, you know, went to film school and, and during film school was like working all the time outside of school in the industry. Um, and so many of my friends who, who'd like dabbled in psychedelics in high school or in college with mushrooms, LSD, um, they were always telling me, you've got, you've got to do this stuff. You're an artist, you're creative. It's going to blow your mind. And I was just not in a place to do it, to deal with it, you know, to, to, right. to handle it. I think in some ways I was in a relationship with someone and they were just very like drugs are bad. Right. Like, and, and I didn't feel that way, but the pressure of that and just the culture there and in Texas and like a very conservative nature, like, I didn't know many people doing psychedelics with any kind of frequency. I didn't know where to get them. Um, you know, used cannabis here and there in high school, a little bit in college, but it wasn't until about my mid twenties, like around 25, when I started using cannabis a little more regularly and going like deeper into that experience. Um, and just like let go of the fear of that, that stigma that was sort of like pressing down on me of, Oh, I can't tell anybody I did this. It's not to be secret. Um, once that lifted, it was, uh, it was like a feeling of, okay, what else can I do now? What else is calling to me? What feels like my choice, not just the culture saying do this or that. And psychedelics were calling a friend of mine had, um, 
yeah, he had like an eighth of mushrooms that were left over from something. And mm-hmm. I was talking about it and he said, Hey, I'll just give you these, you make it do whatever you want, share them with friends or whatnot. So I had them for a couple of weeks and went out to a friend's ranch and another friend was like, Oh, you should make tea. Just put all the mushrooms in there, break them up, honey, lemon, and just, I don't know, with that yeah. dose, you know, two, three people, maybe four, depending on how much you guys want to take, split that all up, drink it, and you'll be great for a few hours. And so mm-hmm. um, we did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then shortly after, like an hour in, starting to come up, and one of the one of the brothers there whose ranch we were at just had, I don't know why, and I don't think he was, um, he wasn't under the influence. He just had a hit that we needed to leave the ranch, go back to Dallas, oh, and like be at some homie's house. And I, I was just, I was just along for the ride. I'm like, I've never done this before. I'd rather be here, but we're, we're going. So I'm just, I'll jump in the car. I want the shotgun seat. And I'm just like sitting on this highway, you know, just at night and mm-hmm. just all the reflecting lights, like from the headlights hitting signs and things. Just yep. like, it was like being on a super highway, right? Mm-hmm. It was really transforming my whole concept of, the world is yeah. interesting that, you know, mostly now when I actually always now when I use plant medicine I'm in some natural setting um, and that being in that more urban concrete jungle, it gave me this sense of reflection of, wow, this has been my whole world. And right. I, yet I've really only seen it one way. And now it's starting to shift. We get to the house and I'm sitting there out on the porch and somebody's probably passed around a joint and, I just start to have a full ego death and they're having a conversation and I just close my eyes and I'm just gone. I don't hear them anymore. I don't see anything. And I just go back. It almost seemed like to, to when I was born and live through this whole cycle of stories of trauma, of success, of failure. And just for like maybe an hour, it felt like forever. And then I just got thrust back into my body, like reborn in a sense of, mm-hmm whoa, I've been carrying all that around and I don't ever think about it. Wow. Like, mm. wow. And then things settled and it was more social and fun. And, and it was a very pleasant experience overall. Um, and then sometime after, maybe a month or two after, I really wanted to try LSD. And, you know, at this point, I'm, I think I'm 26, maybe almost 27. And a friend, a friend had some. And so we were in Austin, Texas. Um, and we took it one day and we just like, Went out to Zilker Park and hung out and riding bicycles around. Later, I would learn about Bicycle Day and Albert Hoffman. And I'm like, oh, my God, my first trip. How synchronistic, my first trip. Yep. And we're riding bikes around. Like, oh, my God, it's the universe is telling me something, right? Yes. Uh, and, and it was, and it was so uh, beautiful in this way of accepting myself, seeing the world from a new perspective, getting out of my own mindset you know, for that seven or eight hours. And um, and then that kind of like was a great introduction. I was really happy for me that I I waited until that time. I think at earlier stages of my life, I just was more anxious and felt that pressure of society that really, I think would have had a given me a very challenging journey um, Mm -hmm. with psychedelics. So it, it was all perfect timing as it always is. Yeah. Right. Beautiful. Wow. Yeah. So very similar story here. Um, my journey started with cannabis and then led to mushrooms and then led to LSD as well. So we're, we were opening our consciousness in the very same method, which is pretty funny, which is 
Uh, not that surprising anymore. I mean, the first few times I would meet people that we would have such a similar story, I was like, wow, I'm so surprised. But now at this point, I just trust in the process. And it's no it's no wonder we're talking. You know what I mean? So it's, it's yeah. funny. Um, yeah. But that's, that's really interesting. So the ego death um, that you had on mushrooms, was it cannabis that you think kicked that in fully? Because I've noticed when I smoke cannabis on mushrooms or anything, it takes it to a new level for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I can't remember, but probably, I mean, in that time and with that group of guys, somebody was always rolling a joint. So yeah. it, and we were on, we were already on some other altered mm-hmm. state producing medicine. So it right. probably made sense that somebody like passed me something and then, that probably, you know, helped me some way get out of my own way and right. let them, let the medicine fully like activate. Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And, and since then for sure, especially with the cannabis, um, using, I mean, especially with mushrooms, using cannabis to activate is always a great tool helping mm-hmm. with like lowering anxiety and the come up and then usually like on the way down, it tends to help me. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, right. um, yeah. So that's, that's interesting. I have a good relationship yeah. with that. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So similar story. I think I shared this a little with you uh, at Unison, which was that cannabis always at the beginning did ease anxiety and ease I- any type of negative vibe. Like it made me like on cloud nine laughing having a great time. It always amplified any, anything, you know, if, if we were on mushrooms, it amplified it in a good way. LSD amplified it in a good way. Well, 10 years down the line of using cannabis, you know, pretty, uh, daily, um, for, for quite a while, uh, oddly cannabis started actually giving me anxiety and giving me the overthinking that previously was alleviating me from, and uh, I recall t- sharing a little bit of this story with you, and you said that cannabis is a trickster plant. And I was really interested in what you meant, and I wanted to explore that on air because it sounds like for you, it's still very much uh, a helpful ally there. Um, and for me, it, it is for the most part. But I will say I am careful not to smoke too much these days because if I smoke a whole joint to myself, which I used to do all the time and never had a negative feeling come up, I could kind of get into like a pretty freaked out, like, whoa, this is intense state. And it's just funny that that used to never happen. And now it does. And um, yeah, you you would call it a trickster plant. So I just wanted to open the floor and and see like what you think about cannabis and and what I'm talking about. here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, Yeah, I think I don't don't remember calling it a trickster plant. And yeah, I definitely feel that way a lot of times. a trickster and also jealous is the other way that I describe it. Yes, like she, actually, I think that's what jealous. you said. I think you said jealous, but other but another like person trickster. had called it had called it trickster to me, and I think I'm confusing them. But but yes, because I talk about this a lot. It's a very interesting topic to me. Yeah, so we'll see how trickster weaves in because I believe that also. And mm-hmm. in regards to it being jealous, man, um, she just for me like. Her hooks are there for uh, relieving stress. And yet, like, there was a time when it was a great tool for that. And then it just became more of um, uh, a crutch than a tool. 
right? I was like relying on it to relieve stress, using it every day, like dealing with anxiety. And at some point realized, oh, this actually, like you said, is producing anxiety for me. Yeah. And, um, you know, a couple of things that I've just been tracking and hearing and, and listening to others around is, you know, mm-hmm. the cannabis plant has changed dramatically, especially in the States, right. since it's become like legalized and decriminalized and commoditized, right? Yeah. And because of the way it's grown and, and because of the way it's extracted and things like that, it's very sticky as far mm-hmm. as like how it sticks to you, not just like in your lungs and this sort of thing, but like in your psyche. Mm-hmm. And she can be very jealous. Like anytime I've ever been on dieta um, for ayahuasca or wachuma or even like preparing for combo or something like that, and I have to put the cannabis down it's never like a challenge to not do it, but I feel it calling at me. And then yes. when I'm in the medicine too, sometimes it'd be like, Oh, wouldn't it be great if you could just roll a joint right now to like chill it out. <laughs> and it's right. sort of the realization of yes, but also no. like the point of being on this journey with whatever medicine I'm on right then is that I'm not using this other plant. That's and true. in that reflection time, you know, following a journey, um, like I'm in right now is just like sitting in psilocybin ceremony over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't feel called to it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like I couldn't have it. I just don't feel like, Oh, I should go roll up a joint or a spliff or something and sit yeah. with that. I feel very awakened. I feel very alive and, and almost mm-hmm. feel that the cannabis will, um, dampen like what's alive for me right now and kind of take Amazing. me into her path. Um, yeah, I think of her like a jealous lover, you know, like that that jealous ex. Yeah. Come that, back to me. Come on, I'm here. Don't forget. So, it. Yeah. so what you're saying, it, what it's what's it's causing me to think of, is that cannabis is an altered state, but it's just a little bit above our normal state of consciousness. But these other, you know, wiser, more advanced plant spirit teachers, whatever you want to call them resonate even higher so you had a psilocybin ceremony and now you're resonating even higher to the point that cannabis would actually bring you down how does that feel yeah right now that i would definitely resonate with that i feel like it's um yeah yeah it's not in alignment So this is a new concept that i'm that i'm exploring here just just live with you here but it's making me feel like maybe cannabis gives you blissful feelings, relief from anxiety while it's lifting you out of your normal state of consciousness to a higher one. But then once you go higher from that, you don't really need it. So by doing it, it lowers your frequency. And that's why we get anxious. You know what I mean? Like, because we might already have done a lot of self work over the past 10 years to the point that Yes, we love cannabis. It got me here. I love it. I have reverence for it. I feel like I want to use it all the time. But honestly, with where I'm at and using other more advanced plant medicines, um, what cannabis is doing is bringing me down from where my natural baseline has elevated to. How does that feel for you? I, I could definitely dive into that theory. That's, um, yeah, that feels super true. The, the, the frequency of the cannabis plant is definitely a little... Um, I don't know if I'm going to say the word lower. It's just mm-hmm. different, right? And and it opens you up in a different way. You're generally, you know, depending on the dose, but especially if smoking a joint or something, generally more like conscious in your in your you know in your space. And with these other like you know deeper plants, let's say, 
they can take you into more transcendent or even transformative, you know, embodied experience. Mm-hmm. And there's, yeah, there's like a, a deeper connection to self that happens with the, the psychedelic plants mm-hmm. that cannabis can support at times and also distract from that, that knowing that, especially in the mm-hmm. time of integration, I realized that even especially after like ayahuasca, if you, and I never really have, but I know I've seen friends do it, smoke some like the days after, even a week or two after, it can like reactivate those two. They're both feminine plants, right? The feminine energy. And they can like start to have like a war with each other. It's the mm-hmm. battleground is inside of you. <laughs> I, I try to like not like, maybe I should try one of these days just to know, just mm-hmm. so I can speak to it with my own experience. And yet there's like a higher knowledge, a deeper knowledge that I'm sort of feeling of, uh, I don't need to do that. That that doesn't feel like a calling to try that right, right now. So very interesting point though. I like that idea. I'm glad you like it. It, yeah, I've been through a number of these kind of uh, ideas around cannabis. Like, for instance, sometimes when, yeah, I, I, you know, I have a bunch of homies that also smoke and we would have these kind of conversations and we would say something along the lines of like, um, well, cannabis is showing you fear. So to run away from it and stop using cannabis is actually limiting you. What you should do is smoke more cannabis and face the fear and get through it and then if you can do that the cannabis won't show you fear anymore because you'll have conquered it so it's bringing something up for you to tackle and go into and not run away from and be scared of so that's just we're just a bunch of stoners we're we're having these conversations but you know i like to throw them out and and see what other people think about that yeah i i what comes up for me when you say that is this realization that I've had for myself that I like to share with, with, with clients I'm working with, I'm coaching them, you know, in some capacity and, and plant medicine comes up and they want to incorporate it into their flow um, or go on like a macro journey. And I might be able to refer them to a facilitator or a, or a, a location or a center that does this, that I've been to that I trust. Plant medicines, the plants themselves, even the specific plant that's been brewed each and every time, right? It's a little bit different. There's like the, the terroir, like you have mm-hmm. a food, like where the food is raised or grown affects the flavor and the flavor profile of, you know, chicken that's grown in an heirloom sort of setting and, you know, open fields with whatever they would naturally eat is going to taste different than something that's been like processed in a, from a plant, right? Mm-hmm. So... Same with plants. And, but more specifically with psychedelics, it's like we each have like a unique fingerprint, right? Mm -hmm. And the plants like sync up with each of our unique fingerprint, our unique psyche, our unique experience, our traumas, Mm -hmm. you know, and it speaks to them in different ways. You know, some people go, oh, that, that plant and I are really not allies. Or they're like, oh, we are allies. We're really tight. I really resonate with that plant. And I think it's just like, there's a, chemical resonance, a spiritual resonance, chemical resonance that, that can sync up. And some mm-hmm. plants are just really going to fit well with that person's whole structure, physical structure, mental structure, belief structure. And mm-hmm. others are going to like, I like this term, like hyper slap it, just going to like smack <laughs> it into some other realm of the universe. Both are good. And yet sometimes you, like for me, I feel like LSD has not been calling for some time now because 
time. It's just such a long time. Yeah. It opens me up to so much of their energy. Usually I'll end up taking it at a place like Burning Man, which just is not the right place for me. It's too much information. I'm already sure. so lit up. Right. So yeah, this idea of which plants for which people, and you really can't tell until you have your experience. And That's so the true. idea of smoking weed to go through the fear or using this, go back to a ayahuasca, even though the last time was so scary and shook you up and right. still integrating the process always changes and evolves right. and whatever we're walking into it with changes it. the set and setting isn't just the place we're in and the vibe that's being created. It's us and what we're coming in with. So mm-hmm. that, that feels like a really potent topic just to, just to bring Absolutely. up a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's funny how at different times, different medicines can be very suiting and, and not, and it not suiting at other times, like you're saying about LSD and, and a really chaotic environment like Burning Man, um, which is counter counterintuitive because most people would think that's the best place to trip, but I'm sure there's another, a bunch of other, uh, chemicals out there you can enjoy that are more social and whatnot. But, uh, so What's coming up for me is that, you know, it's funny that we would sit here on a psychedelic podcast and say, when you're scared of smoking cannabis, smoke more cannabis. When you're scared to do ayahuasca, do more ayahuasca. So from the outside looking in, it's almost like you guys just want to keep doing the thing. Like, this is just your excuse for wanting to do the thing. But the weird part is, is that this is, these are spiritual technologies and what we're really doing is transforming ourselves and doing things that our own intuition, our own body would say, hey, I'm afraid to do that. Like, for instance, every time before I smoke a DMT, like DMT or do a DMT ceremony, my heart races. This is not like a fun experience. This is like serious work. Like, it takes all of the courage that you can muster to do DMT, personally, for me. And it's funny because like I always have to be like I know my heart will stop racing once I just get through the lighting of the, the the pipe the situation whatever it is, and then you know, two minutes later it's amazing my heart's not racing I'm in the visionary space it's great, but like our body itself it's it, like it it knows that it's in in danger so to speak of being left from or something like that because it's trying to tell you no 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 this is a scary thing like i'm gonna race your heart i'm gonna pump your adrenaline like honestly i'm gonna i'm gonna make you sweat because don't do this don't do this it tries to get you not to do it and what the spiritual feat is just like meditating for several hours on end when your body says i'm hungry i'm sleepy i'm tired you say no i'm going like it's the sharpening of your will to take that step you know what i mean and that's just what a lot of people don't understand about the psychedelic space is it's not just people doing drugs literally like they're honing their will they're they're improving themselves they're facing fears they're doing things that even their body is kind of trying to get them not to do in the same way that when you work out you know your body doesn't want to lift a million pounds but like uh, you're going to do it and guess what your body adapts and goes with you so well, what does this all bring up for you yeah i mean that that mind body connection is such an interesting journey to explore with with plant medicines and it's a natural sensation to have anxiety leading into it and i think even for the most experienced um journeymen and women mm-hmm. that still comes up it's like 
your fight or flight, right? It's your, your central nervous systems communicating to you like, Oh, you, I hope you're ready. Like you might, right. you might not be ready. You better check in, you know, at least, at least that's how I look at it is like, I better be really checked in so that even though the anxiety is coming and I like drink the cup or whatever it is, I can sit there in my seat and like go to my practice, go to my breath work for a few minutes, go to my meditation and like calm it all down, knowing that like I'm safe. This has been going on for millions of years, you know, or however long you want to assume. Um, these are people like come sometimes in the ceremony a little nervous and they're like, well, do we have the right safety? And what, what if I'm one of those one in a billion that like just dies out of nowhere and all these from fears and it's, this sensation or the sharing I always give of you. Yeah. You, you could be one of those one in a billion people. And Mm -hmm. these are some of the most researched medicines and, you know, plants that exist. Like these have been the longest used medicines that we have, you know, we trust, you know, we might trust like pharmaceutical companies that synthesize these plants and chemicals and compounds like down into a, I'll take a Zyrtec every day for years. Mm-hmm. But I'm afraid to drink a brew that's been made in this exact way with these exact plants from these exact places for yep. hundreds of thousands of years, let's say. Yeah, you exactly. Know, hundreds are... of thousands of years and not 20 years, you know, like with the Zyrtec, for example. <laughs> so that's always funny. And and I think, yeah, I get anxious too. I, I have to like really check myself and like settle my heart. And it's a, it's a microcosm for life, I found. Like ceremony is my integration. Life mm-hmm. is my ceremony. Like life is where things get out of control, go sideways. People do things you don't want them to do to you. You have to find ways to either be triggered and, and deal with it or, or not be triggered in the moment and keep moving forward. And ceremony brings up all those things in a very short amount of time and gives you a safe, safe space to work it out. And it is work. And there's sometimes you get a beautiful journey and it's just blissful and you're having these past life memories or early life memories of good times or future life memories of what you hope for. And it's just showing you, you and your, your wife or whatever, and your family and whatever you're dreaming of. And then other times in both, and sometimes you get both at the same time, it's just a beating, you know, you're alone. I've been alone samurai wandering through a blizzard where I couldn't see, like my vision was literally static electricity. And I was just wandering through my own psyche, like aimlessly scared and worried. And, you know, I needed to go through that for some reason. And that's, that's where and we'll, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in a bit, but that's where like integration really is the, the medicine working um, yeah. through you. Um, so that's it. That, that's what brings, that's what it brings up a lot for me. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I, I had to discover this firsthand just through doing it and finding out, you know, trial and error, I guess you could call it um, that when you get a revelation from, a ceremony space. Uh, if you go do medicine again before you've integrated that revelation, it's a disservice to the God or the the being or the intelligence or what the intuition, whatever it was that gave you that revelation. And also, <clears throat> you're not integrating, you're using these medicines more as, as this fun time to escape, you know, everyday life. And then... Uh, so, so in order for your trips to continue building on each other and getting better and better and better, you have to do the actions in the physical world that the revelation kind of gave you the glimpse of, you know, change your life in whatever way. Um, and if you do that before your next plant medicine ceremony, 
it's going to be like a reward. It's going to be like, oh, yeah, like you did that work. Good job. I'm proud of you. Here's a couple more things for you to do instead of a fear-based reaction. You know what I mean? Um, And also, you got to be careful to not stack too many revelations (laughs) because you could have like 30 life-changing revelations and there's actually no way you can integrate all of them. You know what I mean? So you have to really pick and choose and use that inner compass to find out which one is the one that you should put your energy into. What does that bring up for you? Yeah, so many things. Um, Yeah, I I think I just completed a a retreat, uh, like a transformative men's retreat, um, and we called it the Integration Assembly. And we did that because integration is the most important part of these experiences. We we can drop into the space. It can throw us out of our body. It can get us deeper into our body. We can have that moment where we're, well, the way I see it is like we're sitting face to face with our subconscious, like having this very clear inner dialogue around what's true. You know, I can ask my subconscious questions that have been on my mind for who knows how long. And I get the clear, oftentimes answer of, well, this is why that keeps happening. This is what you, you can do instead. This is what you maybe should do instead. And then I have to you know, come back home and I've given up the idea of like, I got to try to remember everything. I'm going right back to my cabin afterward and like writing all these notes or recording a voice note. Um, I was in Bali a few years ago. I was staying with this artist, this kind of renowned Balinese artist. I didn't even realize at the time. And we were talking about his work and I was saying, where is this from? He's like, Oh, that's a, I was like a beach in Morocco or something. I was doing a show there and I had a break and I went and I saw this. I came back and painted it later. I said, oh, you have a notebook? You sketch it out and then you come back home to your studio? He says, no, I don't do notes. I don't do notebooks. It's in my mind. This Mm -hmm. is how I keep my mind strong. And I just was just so, yeah, wow. It was like, this is the practice I need to get to. I was just writing notes like crazy. I had notebooks all over the place. Even still... And yeah, I try to use them as a different tool now. Like, what are the things I need to put down here to come back to? What are the things I need to keep? And what are the things that maybe need to let go and come back as they please, as, as is natural? And yeah, the medicine experience, like when I'm really able to get in there and get deep, I can work through questions that I'm maybe still even integrating. You know, there's like a threshold there of don't stack. Yeah, don't stack too many experiences back to back. Give yourself time to decompress. Give yourself mm-hmm. time to, to integrate and like, not just think about and meditate on the things, I, but when I think of integration and what the way I try to coach with it is, it's the actions that you take from the epiphanies that you have. Mm-hmm. So I could have an epiphany about, oh, I, I've been showing up as a real asshole because I wasn't even aware of myself or where my ego was getting in my way. Okay, great. If I don't take actionable steps or prove to myself, oh, I could try it the new way I've been taught. I could be gentler with people. I could be even more compassionate in these situations where people, I feel like they're crossing me and see what's the lesson there. And then the integration and the medicine starts working deeper when I'm months or even years out of it because I'm reactivating what teaching came up. I'm reactivating, if you want to get more um, scientific, speak to like the Western medicine vocabulary i'm like revisiting the neural pathways that have been formed in those times where there's like a lot of entropy happening and my mind is like on fire i'm Mm -hmm. relearning things i'm unlearning things i'm remembering new things right so when we integrate we give ourselves a chance to like walk down the path again 
and even notice, oh, there's actually another fork on this path of the journey. And I, and I was sitting in the ceremony thinking it was just A to B. And that was to show me, like, look ahead, but don't, don't you know, hold yourself back from seeing all the other potential ways that you're going to get to your goals in life. Right. Um, you know, we go in through one doorway in the ceremony. I have an intention to be more self-loving. And we come we may come out a different doorway and it's, it's leading us to the same path, hopefully. And yet we don't know where the path is. We don't know where the next step is supposed to be. We, we have an idea, we have a dream and yet we can use medicine to gain clarity on what this next step could be. Then we have to come back into our human form and our sober state of mind and take literal steps towards the thing. Um, and just to like bring that idea home a little bit, I see a lot of people, even in my poster community and in the wider medicine communities too, that are, I just see they're lost in the medicine there. They get this, they give this reflection of that's awesome. I'm glad to have dinner with you guys here. This is nice for talking about real world things, but I just want to go back to the medicine. I just want to be in that space all the time. It's like, mm-hmm. of course that, that can be beautiful and it's so expansive and yet you're a human in a human body living a human experience. Right. The plants are here as a, a connection to something higher. The plants are here to show us something more. Yep. And so when we come back in our human state, we can implement those things. And that's, yep. that's how I feel the medicine is best utilized. Absolutely. 1000%. And, you know, really what it pointed to me, uh, what it pointed out to me was Find spiritual practice in daily life. Find those spaces without the medicine. And if you're able to do that, it, you're, I feel you're learning the lesson that they teach. Um, so there's a ton of things you can do from uh, just kind of mindfulness or meditation, you know, mindful thinking even, like sitting down with intention around a fire or incense or... Uh, Kopal or something and just even just being present for 15 minutes you don't even have to literally sit down and meditate um, if you're just like bringing your presence uh, and almost doing like a non-medicine ceremony even for 15 minutes a day it'll keep you connected to that space you know meditation itself is a step further you're quietening the mind you're changing you know where uh, parts of the brain light up so that you're getting into more calm zen like state um, and then there's breath work as well, which also changes your neurochemistry. It literally changes the way you feel really quickly. Like within 30 seconds, you can get out of a mental trap that you have found yourself in some type of victim mentality state or whatever, um, through the right breath work. There's ice bath, which you're not thinking about who the president is when you're freezing your ass off. You know what I mean? Like, you're just worried about you and right now, and am I going to be alive after this, you know? Uh, sauna, similar thing. Takes a little longer. I'd say, like, a 20 to 30-minute sauna is where you get to some of those, like, like life change, like, you know, like, uh, in like uh, ego-endangered situations that kind of softens you up a little bit, um, whereas, like, four minutes in an ice bath can do that. Um, and then there's even, like, mild medicine experiences, like hape, like... Um, it centers you in your body, your thoughts kind of dissipate as you're going through this like really 
intense sensation that calls all of your attention, all your focus um, to the crown of the third eye area, usually right around here. Um, that can also be something that, you know, you can use and integrate uh, in daily life. Um, what does uh, all of these bring up for you? Or, or are there any for you that you would like to recommend? Yeah, for sure. I, I think I love that you mentioned the, all these tools. They're such great allies to have in the daily practice. And mm-hmm. something I was just talking about in this transformative retreat, we're doing an integration circle, uh, just kind of sharing experience and be both from what we were in and the previous ceremonies that people had been in and what, what still was disconnected, what still needed some grounding, what still needed reflection from other people, particularly men. And between different sharings, I was just sort of sharing different practices that I use, you know, and one of them is like on alternating nostril breathing. Um, do you ever do that? Do you know, you're familiar? Are you kind of I like, haven't done it much recently, but I, I, I've done it in the past. It's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. You like, you, you know, you, you, I like to put my two fingers on my third eye, but some people just put one, but you, you know, you use one finger to plug one nostril and then you inhale wow. with the opposite. You close it, close both. Right. That when it's time, you exhale through the other side, close at the bottom, hold it out. It's box breathing, but there's like something I find that happens here with just touching yourself and activating yeah that like you're in control, like you're actually plugging your nose. You, you're not breathing. You're, you're not just choosing, you're forcing yourself not to. There's like an embodiment there that can drop you in. And I was sharing with right. these guys that this is a great tool to use in life when you have a difficult um, choice to make or there's any choice and you're sitting in the car there or you're about to walk into a meeting and right. it's just like, is it yes or no? Is it this or that? let me just take 10 of these and just do that for a minute. And I find so often that it really like gives me the answer. It's like, Oh, this is an obvious. Yes. No, this is a clear. No. So mm-hmm. I really like that tool. It's just like, a, just, just using the breath. Um, I like to think I like, I love breath work activations and I'll do them. We'll have friends who coach me through them from time to time. I have lots of like recorded versions produced by just amazing brothers that are incorporating binaural beats and like, activating different um, frequencies of music. So you're like working up the chakras as they're activating different breathing patterns, such epic medicine, like doing that an hour a week that is, yeah. is such good medicine. And then I like microdose breath work by doing like a few rounds of Wim Hof pretty yeah. much every morning. I do that. I get in my cold plunge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if I have time, I'll go like sit out on the rocks, uh, like a boulder field behind the house. And mm-hmm. if it's in the morning, the sun almost is always shining right there. And uh, if I feel called, I'll take the hape. I'll sit there, like sit on my towel, like naked. I mean, I'm out in nature and there's nobody around right. and just have a little ceremony for myself. And just like that whole practice, give myself you know, 45 minutes to an hour to do. Yeah. It, it's amazing. Time. I'm so happy to wake up early to do that. It makes me a better version of myself. It makes me a better husband. It makes me a better father to this little one and, and right. to the future children that, that are 10, coming into our life. I love it. It's so funny to think because it's easy to feel like this is such an ancient thing, like what you just said, like doing an ice bath, uh, doing hape, uh, meditating, just being mindful for the morning time. You know, it does feel like almost a return to where we came from, from the primordial. But also we have to think that we're in the future with way more accessibility to things than people ever had. So I wonder, did in, did in, uh, did any Indian yogis 
actually have access to hape because we know hape comes from South America. So it's funny how we're like combining and creating an even new spiritual practice from different traditions, you know, like yoga and ice, ice bath ceremony with hape in one hour. Like we're creating the new tradition almost. It's crazy. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I think it's beautiful. I, I love that I've been exposed to these different modalities, found the ones that really work for me. Yeah. and figured yeah. out a, a rhythm, a cadence that, that I like. And it, and it changes, you know, this, this breathwork, ice bath, hot bay combo, I've only started doing since I moved in this new house because I got the ice bath and I have the nature. And I, yeah. So it's, you know, maybe three months into its experimentation and, and it's great. And I'm always kind of looking how to, how can I optimize it? How can I change up the flow? Maybe a different time of day. Morning is good. What's, what happens if I do it in the afternoon? Do I get like an extra you know, jolt of energy to like finish out my day. What happens if I do it before bed? Do I sleep better? Um, so many ways to like self experiment and, and do it safely. Cause like you said, we have access to so much information now and, and credible people who are speaking to the knowledge that they've learned and gathered, which is thousands of years old that we can find new ways to apply them and ways that are more effective in the world we're living in now, you know, if we were living in tribes in the jungle without technology and this and that, what do we need then? You know, how much medicine do we need then? I think, you know, the traditional, the most traditional use of ayahuasca that I'm familiar with is the shaman drinks the medicine. The participants do not. And then the ikaros and the chanting and the songs and the limpia and the cleaning and, and the blessings, that's what you're receiving. That's where your downloads are coming. They're the channel. And they're channeling the medicine to you through song, through Icaro. And so, but now we're in a time where I guess it's been decided by, by, by the powers of be, by the maestros that the people need the medicine. They, they need to be the channel too, which is interesting. If you think about the Judeo Christian religions, let's just say, because like, I have to imagine, and there's lots of books coming out, Brian Murrescu, Murrescu, his name, I forget. Um, he just published a book that's all about the actual facts and, and signs of where plant medicines were likely used in religious yeah. ceremony. And right, so right, right. I think about, you know, being an ayahuasca ceremony, like, you know, I'm Jewish, so I was raised with, like, all these songs in Hebrew and going to synagogue and being bar mitzvah, and, like, it's very much programmed in me, and I can be on a journey and look up in the top of a maloka and see like Hebrew, like I'm looking at a Torah, like I see light language, like illuminating and I hear the, the Hebrew and I'm thinking this stuff, these words, these prayers, these songs, they must've come out of these kind of experiences. Maybe it wasn't ayahuasca. Maybe it was like a kaikia or some other, what, what was happening in these parts of the world at the time. But these were the things that were activating these, these epiphanies. These, these were the tools that were being shared. And so, there's even just this concept in Judaism. There's a thing called a minion is the word, a minion. And a minion is 10 men, traditionally men, but nowadays things are loosening. And I think, <laughs> yeah, if you're going to hold a ceremony with like a deep plant ceremony, you should have 10, at least mm-hmm. 10 men, 10 sturdy people, because like who knows how many people might pop off and need to be grounded in. And it's right. just one or two people. That's not a safe way to do this. We need, 10. And so you have to have a minion technically to hold any um, ceremony. 
in, in Judaism. That's like the, the, one of the rules, right? So I'm thinking, well, where did that come from and why? And then even right. thinking at some point, right, the, the, these religious entities, they probably like took the medicine back only for the high priest. So yeah. like only they needed to channel the sin. So it's I think even in priest. the, <laughs> right. <laughs> they oh, yeah. come into like the temples, right. Even like the first temple in Jerusalem, the second temple, which now, you know, all you have there is like the, the Holy of Holies, like the wailing wall that's there, which is an amazing experience if you haven't been there. Um, and they had a chamber inside of that called, that called the Holy of Holies. And I, you know, I've only heard it described. Obviously there's no picture, pictures of it, but mm-hmm. it's like this heavy, curtain like a felt like heavy dense curtain that was drawn back and only the high priest could go inside there at one point i think the ark of the covenant was kept there and i can imagine that's where they would sit with medicine and like channel the teachings channel the stories channel in well the the prayers and lessons that they're going to give to the congregation um i think it's something so so interesting that i meet a lot of people in this medicine path that are jewish or have come from jewish upbringings and there's such a deep level of mysticism in Judaism and in almost every sect um, and the way they teach it that it's not surprising to me that these people, uh, people like me are drawn to mystical experiences, drawn to these higher level um, ceremonies and experiences because that's where all this stuff came from. Mm. And the fact that we can now optimize it, utilize it into our very modern way of living only makes sense because things aren't going to stop being more modern. And yet we can continue to deepen our connection with the ancient, with the ancient wisdom, you know, and yeah. then if we can draw a line between the two, the, you know, the, the um, story of like the eagle and the condor, right? This, this prophecy that like the tribes, at least in South America, right? It's their prophecy will connect with the tribes of the white man of the, the northerner and come together and they see like medicine and ceremony as the way. Mm-hmm. It's not surprising. And, and I'm and I'm lucky and grateful to be a recipient of that, and also somebody who can like articulate their experience to people who are worried or unsure or have the stigma, and be a living example of the benefit that these experiences can have. That is a documentary, yeah. man. That <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> yeah, that is incredible about the the high priest going behind that big curtain and having medicine in that space. If that already doesn't exist as a big idea on YouTube or something, like, that was golden. Amazing. And it makes so much sense to me as well because I've been connecting uh, psychedelic states to Indian culture and the Vedas and the the Bhagavad Gita and as well uh, the Tao Te Ching. And all of these things, because it, it just appears to me like where it comes from in those states. You kind of just get it. Um, things like even like Tibetan Buddhism, where they have the Thangka paintings and they have all these elements flowing around inside their bodies, you know, like wind and fire and um, water and all these like elements inside of them. Uh, chakras, you know, energy wheels, all this type of stuff is accessible through the psychedelic space. If you're a grounded person and you're able to be in that space comfortably, because not every person that takes psychedelics are going to enter these mystical experiences. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, set and setting is like the biggest thing, but also your level of research, your level of spiritual insight, uh, you know, um, knowing the right techniques to ground yourself if an experience turns, you know, like there's all types of you know, technology that kind of goes into this, but 
it makes so much sense what you're saying about almost all the traditions I feel were very likely informed by psychedelics. Like even um, the, 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 what was it called? The, the experience of the burning bush. Um, You know what I mean? Like that feels super psychedelic to me Um, as well as like what Jesus knew. He actually went away from like, he was like 13 years old and he came back when he was 30, something along those lines. Don't quote me on that. But like during that time, I, I can almost guarantee he had a handful of psychedelic experiences. And, you know, some people even believe he went to India and studied with monks and became a yogi and got initiated in high, heightened states of consciousness. And then he came back and had his mission. So it's like, it's all connected, like almost all. And we already know like Native Americans with peyote. Um, we already know South Americans with ayahuasca. So like every continent, every big story it had ever like found its way to us as a religion or a mystical tradition, like it's very likely psychedelically induced. Is that, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm pretty like outspoken in, in my opinion that, yeah, it's not my opinion. I just share it with, with the with people who have brought it to light, but you know, the stoned ape theory and this idea that consciousness evolved out of these plants. You know, I can only imagine we're living up in trees and then we kind of start migrating into the plains and we stumble across, you know, at least what I can see in the world that I'm experiencing is like mushrooms, right? Because yeah. they gross fungi, they grow so rampantly. And then you have like cows, especially like in the Indian cultures and religions being sacred. Um, and it's like, we don't kill them. We don't, it's like, well, wherever they take a shit oftentimes like psilocybin mushroom can change mushrooms can grow there. So that, that seems like an obvious tie. And then I'm thinking I've had this vision and ceremony before where like, it almost looks like a Foxtrot cartoon or like a Mel Brooks kind of thing. It's like funny, but it's like somebody gets the mushrooms and they try them. And then they're like, go grab a buddy next time. Just yeah. rained. Oh, rain now. Uh, there's probably mushrooms. It's probably going to be out there again. Grab yeah. Mike. Hey, Mike, Come with me. I got to show you something. <laughs> They're speaking English, right? Uh, yeah. Grabs the plant, gives them some, they eat it. And it's just like, okay, let's go. And you go for a walk. And then it starts to activate. And the friend's yep. like, what have you done to me, man? You're, you just mm-hmm. killed me. We ate some poisonous thing. We're going to die. Like so-and-so did last week from eating whatever they, it's like, no, trust me, trust me, trust me. And they go on the journey. Mm-hmm. And now the two of them are now carrying this medicine of, well, they're going to tell somebody else. They're going to tell somebody else. And, the tradition gets passed and passed and passed. And then there's lots of like ideology around cultures that were, you know, mushroom cults and how they operated in that with always having mushroom in their diet from the time you're a little kid, you know, and there's just food source. Um, it changes the whole dynamic of the culture, more empathy, uh, less ego, probably more orgies. Like it also creates more procreation. Like it stimulates the sexual drive, right? Like oftentimes. So, it, it just, there's a, there's a, there's a lock there and it seems like the plant medicines are like the key to like unlocking so much of that wisdom that's been oppressed. And even when you talk about like the the narratives around Jesus and what might've happened there where he was beyond the pale, so -hmm. to speak, right. Beyond the known realm of safety, you know, in Mm -hmm. in the medieval times, like beyond the pale is where that phrase comes. Right. And it's, 
if you go outside the pale and now you're with the witches or the curanderas or the medicine men or whatever, the, the mushroom cult that's not in our little safe zone, you're going to get new downloads. You're going to get reprogrammed. Mm-hmm. And then you might come back into this culture and they're like, no, you can't come here anymore. Like you have wisdom that's not to be shared. You're ostracized. Mm-hmm. So this, this constriction of wisdom has like been such a human, a cultural divide forever. Yeah. Um, and then even, yeah, fast forwarding into the medieval. And I think it's pretty well documented that the crusades um, spur- spurred the longest drought um, in so much of the world without any plant medicines because they just stripped all the knowledge, burned all the plants. Like it was, it was punishable by death, punishable by death and all these things. So like they created, I think in many ways, like this initial stigma yes. that then has just been like continued on and on and on. And now we're finally in, a, in an age where the stigmas are being like uncoupled and unwired and the wisdom of the plants are actually being shared openly. And the, even the governments are starting to say, there's clearly benefit here. We got sick people. We've got sick veterans who've seen stuff that's just not natural. They need a method to release. This was the way. This is the ancient way. The warriors go to battle, like the Native Americans, you know, and, and then yep. they have this intense experience. They're just brutal. They just have to murder other humans, right? The most aggressive act you could probably perform as a human, taking the life of another how do you decompress from that? How do you integrate from that? Well, these plant teachers can like bring you back into wholeness and resolve trauma. So yeah, it makes sense that we're starting to bring them back into the fold. We have people who are carrying trauma. Everybody has PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in a world that, that always has had trauma and now it's just more prevalent and seeming like we have less tools than ever to integrate the trauma. We're so separated, you know, community. I like saying community is the only medicine I've found that can heal anything. Yeah. And sitting in a ceremony in community is like a huge amplifier. If you just go take something on your own, that can be great. But if you sit in that ceremony and you see that person having a crushing time and that person's laughing their ass off and you're starting to cry and then you're laughing and everyone's going through a process. There's this collective human experience, this little microcosm of, wow, we're all dealing with this. Yeah, 1000%. It really is like that. I can't agree more. Um, Also, it reminded me of this experience I did called white tantric yoga. It was it was very much that humanizing thing because it was very difficult. But for instance, you know, there was several eye gazing um, exercises where you had to look into the eyes of a, of a partner. Sometimes it was a partner of your choosing and sometimes it wasn't. So as you're doing these eye gazes with, you know, sometimes strangers or even just someone you know really well, um, as well as trying to hold a posture that's very hard to hold, like on your arms, for example, like holding your arms out to the left and right for a long time. And then you're seeing the struggle of them, feeling the struggle of you, and then, you know, sometimes they're going to drop and it's like, well, he's watching. So let me come back up. You know what I mean? And it's like this collective human experience of almost the same thing with what you're saying, you know. So um, I really agree that that is what is healing about these medicines is helping everyone understand that we're all trying our best. We're all dealing with stuff um, and no one's better than anyone. This is all we're all just that's the message. I, I always get like a humbling feeling from psychedelics and and ceremony that 
uh, you know, just, just try and do a good job um, in your life and try to ease the stress and the pain and the trauma of others. And then you, that's, that's like the act of burning karma and you burn karma for yourself and your own behavioral patterns. But, you know, as a yogi, you can also help burn karma with other people by holding space for them and being that neutralizing energy almost that, you know, you, you can take on their, um, and listen to their, uh, energy and then transmute it back to neutral and then they feel better. And there's all kind of crazy stuff that goes on when you start learning about this stuff and, I don't know. It's just it's just super beautiful, but I really agree that that like humanizing experience is uh, extremely helpful, and especially in group settings. So it's no surprise that you know the maloka exists. For example, like have you sat in a maloka? Because I haven't. But what, yeah. what, what what would you say that experience is like? It's amazing. Um, it there's something about you know, being in a space uh, in all Malokas, I guess it can be different, but it's something about being in a space that's covered, right? It's, it's, and it's just dark usually. So it's removing a lot of the visual sense. And, you know, a lot of times in psychedelics, like that can be one of the most entertaining parts, mm-hmm. but in, especially in ceremony and Maloka, this is not, we're not doing this for entertainment. Mm-hmm. We're doing this, like go deep into some experience that we are supposed to have. Mm-hmm. And so by cutting off some of that information, by dimming the lights, by covering the roof, by, you know, sometimes there's open air. I've been in some beautiful ones that are open air on the outside. And that's nice to like, just feel the elements moving around you. And yet, you know, you're protected. There's something about like a set and setting that feels safe. That's very important. Right. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, the, the Maloka experience is so valuable. Um, just a sacred space that's, that's really set aside for right. sacred activations, just like a chapel in a church or uh, in a right. synagogue, or in a mosque, or um, you know, or in a maloka. Uh, these are special spaces for meditation special experiences. Hall. Meditation hall. Yep. There's like there's a, there's a theory called ontological design. Or an idea. Ontological okay. design is the idea that the spaces we design design us, right? So like in your <laughs> mm-hmm. in a library, there's like the way it's designed and the culture that's been implanted is like you have to be quiet here, respectful. <laughs> It's yep. a place of learning. You know, a bar has its own. When you design your home and you might put like windows all around so you can see outside, it's like you're bringing the nature inside, which can be very mm. grounding. Um, so I think ontological design comes in big time with ceremony spaces. Uh, and I, I love designing ceremony spaces. I've done a few yeah. times and like Amazing. just created the, the layout for people and, and just a comfy, safe place to call home for the night, you know, that, that you don't have to think about like we're working at almost a subconscious level and that's that's where like most learning happens so it's like where can, how can we make people feel comfortable right, right. now yeah yeah that's beautiful i want to actually talk about ceremony design space for the last like 20 minutes or so we have here but sure. um it, it made me think that there's this funny this funny occurrence in my life um when I know a ceremony is coming that night and maybe it's just a solo or maybe just like one other friend, um, I clean the house like crazy. And it's almost one of the only things that gets me so pumped to clean because every, you know, like I'll clean, you know, it's part of life and whatever, but it's so funny how like mission driven, like that cleaning before a ceremony is, it's like vacuuming everywhere. I'm dusting, like, um, I'm putting everything in its proper space, you know? And, 
it just feels like super sacred. And then when you land in that ceremony space with all of that like feng shui cleared, it feels so good. It feels amazing. So I don't know. That was yeah. just a funny like little thing that I've realized in my own experience. But um, what would you say are some of the tenets of like ceremony design and, and how do you have fun with that? Yeah. Um, I'm with you on the cleaning thing. Like I can be <laughs> a bit OCD and sometimes medicine will amplify those feelings. And so right. if I see things are dirty or un- like not organized or whatever, I almost like want to get up and like tidy them. I've yeah. definitely found myself in ceremonies where I'm just a participant. I'm not facilitating or guarding in any mm-hmm. way. And I'm like cleaning people's buckets out and things. And I have somebody <laughs> come up and say like, you, you don't need to do that. You can just, I'm like, I want to. Right. Like I'm being called to do this right now. We're the same person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And, and I love, I, I treat like most spaces, especially in my home, like a ceremony space, you know, like putting like little altars where I work and lighting incense before I start and really being intentional with like how I hold the space because yeah, it makes a big difference in how I perform. So ceremony is the same way. I, I like to, you know, definitely like, you know, the circular nature of how we all sit and circle, like everybody kind of in the same plane. Nobody's like, I'm on the stage and you're over here. You know, we just, we just held ceremony recently and we built this altar that like went like away from myself and the other facilitator, like out into the center of the space towards like a healing mat. And usually it's just kind of right in front of us and it's sort of smaller and this, we were just like, let's go out towards the space. We want everyone to feel invited. They can come up to it from like multiple angles and mm-hmm. sit with it, put their things there, take their things back, hold them, take rapé there. Um, and that, that felt really good. You know, I really feel I want to design ceremony spaces that hold an aspect of community really deeply and make people feel like brother on my left, sister on my right, the folks in front of me, we're all right here. We're all holding this collective container. We're and, and this one, um, uh, that I've, I've worked with and sat with, she likes to say, um, the party's in the Maloka. <laughs> so you can go outside, you can like, you can go outside and purge or just look up at the stars or take some space or like talk to yourself. That's going to be distracting for others. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, but come back in as soon as you're done. Cause like, this is where the party is, you know? Right. Um, the lighting is key. Um, I think I tend to like have a lot of both flameless candles just for safety and a few like real lit candles. This is good to have fire, especially if we're in like an indoor space where we can't have like a real fire pit. Um, and then, you know, as, as the ceremony starts, usually like kind of taking some of those lights down. Um, and then once we kind of are lifting into the later parts of the ceremony, maybe we're opening up or sharing other people can play music and offer gifts or prayers or, or whatever. Right. Um, the light will bring some of the lights up. We'll add a couple candles or start to bring the vibe up, give more of that visual field, something to play with, give it more light to, to notice things. And that can be, that can be really, really grounding. I think too, I'll, I'll like yeah. to come down um, and like seeing each other. And I think you know, typically in most ceremonies that I've been in uh, generally, you know, you're not, no talking with anybody. That's not like who's holding the space or like you need to have an emergency um, and not looking anybody in the eye, any other participant. Uh, not touching them. Like it's important that we create a space where it's conducive to that. If it's bright and I can see everyone, well, I'm going to be drawn to look at them because that's what we do as humans. Right. So if we create a container that kind of lets all that information fall away, you know, we don't have right. technology in the space for a good reason. We don't need that. So it's like, what else do we not need? Let's build, let's design from a place of being redactive 
And then we can put the things in there that are valuable, the ultra space, all the crystals, all the different um, deities. And we might do like flower petal, mandala, um, and always giving people a comfy place to be, you know, yoga mat stacked and blankets and bolsters. And, you know, you want to change posture throughout the experience, sitting, maybe you want to stand, or lay down, do some yoga, you know, giving people like the tools they're going to need to tap into themselves. I think that that's really important to me. Uh, I really try to introduce like a, an embodied experience in these spaces. Yeah. It's very easy to transcend. And sometimes mm-hmm. this is what we need to do and get out of our mind. And yet I think a lot of the deep work happens when we're like in our body and we're like actually doing transformative work for ourselves. So right. I would try to build spaces that can offer more of that than just like all the, the mystical invitation to get outside of yourself, um, sure. which is also beautiful. And yet maybe not the intention for the spaces I'm designing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I love it. That's, that's really cool. Um, so it made me think of how this has just happened naturally. Um, it seems like a really good idea during a ceremony, whether it be with whatever LSD sh- mushrooms, ayahuasca, whatever that you be on the floor. Is that oh, true? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. You yeah. should be on the floor because it's funny. Cause like, you know, sometimes when people get uncomfortable and weird stuff's going on, it's like you're you're sitting in like a modern day sofa recliner chair, and that's just like kind of not a natural thing. You know what I mean? But like being on the floor is something we've done for eons and stuff. So I don't know. It's just like returning to like the basics. You know what I mean? Like let's all just sit on the ground, um, and I don't know. That can help because so much of what makes a trip weird is that the setting around you is weird for the medicine itself. So like sitting on a bunch of couches and being in the kitchen and all this and that, like, you know what I mean? Um, That's, those are the things that bring the weird mental head spaces. And it's because what you're doing a spiritual experience needs to be as kind of natural primordial uh, tribal as it can be. And that's the job of setting up the space well and having a guide as well, you know? So yeah. it's beautiful. I really commend uh, all the knowledge there that you've got on, on how to use these technologies to like their highest benefit for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just for, like, I just would say people who are like thinking about designing like ceremony spaces in their home for themselves or their friends or their family, um, or they're already doing it. You know, if they, if they're looking for a piece of advice, it's like remove distractions you know, create a lighting that is removing distractions like you're and removing your, your everyday things, you know? So mm-hmm. even like in the bathroom, you know, having little like candles or flameless candles. So you don't have to like turn the lights on, um, having the mirror covered with like a shawl or something, you know, so you're not like looking in the mirror, like this, there's a thing of like, you can get lost in the mirror. Like, mm-hmm. don't, don't get lost in the mirror. <laughs> um, totally, totally. Yes circling up being on the floor having low seating meditation pillows a floor mattress i like to bring out when i'm at home here um obviously incense building that altar space intentionally you know and i like doing this with when friends come over if we're going to do a ceremony and there's a few of us i'll bring out like all my things they'll have their things and it's all sitting there on one end of the room it was like okay let's take the next 30 minutes and and design the space together in silence whatever you feel called you want to put that sheepskin thing here you want to put the altar there you want to put candles here we're all going to build it together. We're all going to hold it together. We're all going to journey together. Let's feel like we did this as a, as a group, not like 
I did it all and you're in my space because it's not, it's just not what it is. Absolutely. I love that spirit of community and it just kind of naturally arises after plant medicine experiences that you, you know, they're, they're ego softening. It's less about like what you said. It's like, this is my space. I'm leading it, blah, blah, blah. You realize that, yeah, someone needs to be a guide and, and hold space, but it's a gentle thing. Like when you go to yoga class, I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch of crazy yoga instructors and people get a kick out of it, but for the most part, they're inviting you to participate. They're not saying do this, do this like a drill sergeant. You know what I mean? Like there's this soft nature that a yoga teacher usually has and emits and you feel comfortable to, uh, you know, invite your own movement, your own energy, your own modifications, um, very similar thing with, with the psychedelic space. And that's beautiful, man. You've been through so much stuff. That's so awesome. Um, and there's so much more to come. So like how, like what's on the horizon for you? Yeah. Thanks for asking that. It's on the horizon in this space and kind of what it's probably going to take most of my space just like, cause walking this path is, hard to like deviate from it and to stay on it you know everything's calling forward like a lot of truth right now for me so you know definitely holding more retreats um more trainings um a lot more men's work right now i think co-ed retreats and co-ed trainings will come you know hopefully like in the second half and later part of next year um actually mike brancatelli who you mentioned earlier and and bill burns and myself are going to hold a men's retreat in costa rica uh, we're ironing out the dates. It's looking like the early part of February um, and at this epic center uh, called Holos, uh, which a dear brother has created. And it's just an epic space for medicine work, for deep connection, um, just a beautiful piece of land with waterfalls and hundreds of acres to hike on. They're private. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're, we're building that out right now. The theme of it is inspiration. And so we're designing the experience. And I'm starting to call in some facilitators, just worked with an epic body worker friend and kind of figure out how to weave his magic in and other facilitators and the medicine that they are carrying and serving. Um, so that, that's feeling very present is designing spaces and experiences for brothers to connect, to do the work they need to do individually, and then to be seen and witnessed by other brothers um, who are doing the work too. This is one of the deepest healings I've received. And it just felt naturally to start to start doing that work and, right. and bringing in expert facilitators that I get to learn from. And like, I'm not, I'm not like facilitating all of this by any means. I'm really just mining the time, designing a flow. And then like, as things shift or need a little love, like just inserting a little bit of my presence, a little bit of my gift to make sure that things are landing for, for each participant. So that's really super present. Also designing a, a couple's container, like a phenethylamine ceremony, um, which works with like the Shulgin index and like MDMA and, and, uh, Kana and lots of other uh, derivatives of these plants, um, and create a, a container where you have your individual process, you have process with your partner, and then we have process with each other, like in community. And so it's probably like a two to four couple experience with a couple facilitators. Um, and we just go deep into what's present and what's going on in our relationship. How do we support each other? And, and all these things I've been realizing are tools for catalyzing truth and trust between, between folks in the community. I'm really 
wanting to hold more um, men's work and containers in my backyard, not literally, but in Colorado. Uh, we just we just were working at a place called Everland. It's an epic property. Um, and we got to do some really deep work with brothers there. Um, and a lot of them were local. It's some Denver brothers, some Boulder brothers, a couple guys from out of town. But I'm, I'm curious and excited to see how that trust building continues to grow as we're in community, seeing each other every week, you know, every month, holding experiences for one another. This is my dream that, uh, that we're all holding these experiences all the time that you don't need to like pay me to come that it's there's, I'm doing one, you're coming, you're doing one, I'm coming. This is the way we convene. This is the way we we gather. This is our entertainment. This is our, um, this is our church, you know, this is our place of of worship in a way and healing. Um, so I'm, I'm feeling very called to, to facilitate those spaces and and bring in other experts to help me. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, share knowledge. I mean, that's, that's, what's feeling super true right now is, doing that work, being an experienced designer and a facilitator, um, a brother and leaning into the rites of passage work. I think rites of passage work is really what's calling. Uh, I want more of it. I want to bring more people into it with me. 1000%. So where do we learn more about, uh, connecting with you? What websites, uh, social media, whatnot? Yeah. So social media, I think is probably the best right now. I'm in the process of building a couple other sites here in the next month or two. Um, Social media would be just my personal, which is uh, Reddish, R-E-D-I-S-H, my last name, and then D for David, so at Reddish, D. Um, Definitely promoting and posting and keeping things up to date there. Uh, My personal website, davidreddish.com, which has a lot of my filmmaking and a lot of other offerings, but also experiences that I'm doing. Um, And then the company that I'm just founding for just experiences, just for retreats, is called um, Honey Originals named after my grandmother who passed about a year ago. Um, and so kind of shaping that out. So I think it's a honey, honeyoriginals.com. Um, and then I know um, for the upcoming retreat in February, the men's retreat, I believe that'll be hosted through Bill Burns website, which is authenticue.com. I'm sure we can drop the links in below. Totally. Um, Absolutely. And we're, we're starting to, we're starting to send invitations out for that and gathering, you know, uh, a dozen or so men. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to, to start like sending all that out and getting people on board as quick as I can. Wonderful. Well, man, amazing connecting with you today. I still have so much I want to explore, uh, with you. So let's stay in contact and yeah, again, thank you for everything you're doing out in the world. Um, you're doing awesome stuff. So thanks for uh, joining the podcast today. Thank you, brother. Thank you for holding the space for the conversation and asking brilliant questions and, and uh, yeah, just inviting me to share, you know, from a place that's really special um, that I don't always share from uh, so, so publicly. So thanks for like creating a safe space for that and, and holding the torch. It's an honor, brother. Thank you very much.